Welcome to Collier's Talks, a podcast series featuring the latest trends, insights, research, and developments in commercial real estate in Canada and beyond. All right, guys, welcome again. Uh, good to see you guys. Thanks uh, for having us. This is another uh, edition of the uh, wine tasting with uh, with Mark and Arnold uh, with a little flair of real estate. And uh, this is the uh, Rose Fellow edition. Uh, really happy to uh, to welcome uh, Sam Sumas, uh, Mike Jagger, Thank you. both uh, co-founders of uh, Rose Fellow. Um, not new to the game, these two gentlemen, uh, but a new venture, uh, a couple of years, a little bit more than a couple of years old now, but uh, has really, really uh, taken off. So we're here to to clink some glasses and uh, and talk some uh, some shop and some real estate. Uh, introduce my my partner Arnold Fox, executive vice president with uh, with Colliers International, Montreal office, and uh, myself Jean Marc Dubay, uh, executive vice president with uh, the Colliers Industrial Group and the Group Practice Lead. So, enough of the uh, the introductions. And uh, before we get started, guys, let's get comfortable. I think we should uh, try this fabulous wine that come that I uh, we we are able to get for this uh, this podcast today. Today we're drinking uh, Bruna Grimaldi Barolo uh, from the uh, Brico Ambrogio Cru, which is basically a small portion of land inside the Barolo commune. Uh, guys, it's a great wine. I actually happen to know this family very well. Um, went to the vineyard there. Um, they've become friends. Uh, the grandmother, la nonna, made us lunch inside. <laughs> wow. Like it was, it was absolutely fantastic. So. You know, guys, I decanted this, and just so you know, not because it's a, it's a snobby wine or anything, but young wine should be decanted just to give them a little bit more oxygen. But hope you guys enjoy. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank Mark, you. can you get this anywhere? You can't get this. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't. He always says that. You can't get this anywhere. That is nice. So, guys, let's start with um, the elephant in the room, I guess. Um, you guys came onto the scene. You've been you've been in the real estate business for for over a decade, mm-hmm. long time. Um, you're you're not your atypical real estate guys. Um, what gave it away? The tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> we don't look like typical real estate developers. That that's the main thing. Yeah. So I, I I would say that you know you may even be branded as disruptors in our and disruptors in a positive way because we know that that you know in in, in other industries being a disruptor is an excellent thing but in real estate it's always been a little bit more more stable so talk to me a bit of your your branding your your thought your spirit of your your group um i think on the branding side when sam and i started roseville the one thing we wanted people to know was who sam and mike were beyond just being another developer you know what what were our our goals what 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 did we envision for real estate what was our passion we we started out that way as opposed to presenting sites and, and what types of buildings we're going to build we wanted people to know what happened behind the scenes at Rosewell and how we we're going to bring projects to the table that was key for us and let people know about our team we weren't there was no one that was going to be hiding behind the scenes we wanted to bring everybody that was important to us up front and, and that included everybody from our urbanists to our construction division and everybody in between. On top of that, uh, mentioned before, we don't look like typical okay. real estate developers. Uh, we're tattooed. We you know, we wear jeans to meetings. We you know, we wear Jordans. We you know, baseball caps. Uh, we like being who we are. I think our energy is what uh, you know takes precedence. We 
a door in uh, development, especially industrial development. You know, Mike mentioned our team. Funny enough, uh, I don't think there's a single person in our team that has a tattoo except the two of us. So, so it, 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 it same we, with our team. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it wasn't about finding people like that. It was more about finding people uh, that have the same passion that we do. Love development. Love. Uh, love to take a chance. You know, I look at the our team. Most of these people could have been hired anywhere. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a strong demand for very high valued employees. They chose to come here. They drank the Kool Aid, which is Rose Fellow. So that shows me that you know they also want to be disruptors. Uh, aside from that, at the end of the day, though, we are developers. We we enjoy what we do. It's all about uh, taking care of our partners, taking care of our clients, having fun, and, and being ourselves. That's really what it's about. So you guys came from uh, very established developers in the greater Montreal area, mm -hmm. developers with great reputations, and a lot of people scratched their heads when you decided to to create Rosefellow and go off on your own. I, I'd go even to say there were a lot of non-believers. Um, how did you guys get through those hurdles? How, talk to me about your first project. How did you go through that, that those challenges? I, I had to say on my end, uh, it, it was hard. I have to say, I remember being on those first few meetings. You know, when we started Rosefellow, we would do presentations to brokerage houses. We'd meet with people, and we knew the whispers. I mean, we saw them. We saw the laughs. We saw, you know, we'd do a presentation. We'd see people's eyes roll behind their heads. We'd see it happening. It was hard. For me, what helped a lot, interestingly enough, was the pandemic. It allowed us to almost get away a little bit from the industry in the sense that we weren't seeing people day to day and allowed Mike and I to really focus on what we were good at, which is development and site acquisition. Uh, that's really what helped me get through that, but we saw it happening. I mean, people were, were very difficult. The, 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 the one thing that Sam and I had was our reputation. We, we didn't have you know, years and years worth of, of, uh, of development. Rosefeld just started, and the one promise we made to every broker, every landowner, was that if we put a property under contract, we would take it to the finish line. That's the one guarantee we gave them, that we will do a, a prior due diligence. When we're under contract, we'll do, an, we'll do a thorough due diligence, and we will close. Unless we find plutonium underground, right. we're taking it to the finish line. And, and those that did believe us took a chance on us and, and chose Rosefeld over some of our competitors to put these sites under contract. And what we did is what we promised. We closed on them. And within our first year... We had a little over 5 million square feet Five. of property. Yep. And we doubled that by year two based on promises that we made. Trust us. We'll take it to the finish line and we'll do what we say we'll do. So if I had to ask you which property you think put you guys on the map, like what, at what point did people say after that deal was done, say these guys are for real? Like these guys are, have, have hit the market and they're now players. Um, I think I'll answer it a little more general. Sure. There was a cycle. We spent the first year acquiring sites. People said, okay, wow, they acquired sites. They got partners and they bought land. Couldn't they build them? We spent the following several months putting up buildings on those properties. Then the comments came up, well, are they actually going to find tenants? And then we did deals with the Steve Maddens of this world, the Dormevus, the Nespressos. And I think that's what kind of solidified that we're here to stay is when they saw the cycle happen from acquisition to development to leasing, that's when people said, okay, now we understand. It's just not, it's not a one night, uh, it's not an in and out, they're here to stay. It, it wasn't one project in my opinion. I, I, Sam may have a different perception on that. Uh, 
for me, it was uh, almost similar to what Mike just said. Yeah. The difference was uh, first couple of developments we did, uh, we were generally left alone in the market. I, I get the same sense that Mike did, which was developers and our competitors basically saw us, let them do that and then they'll be done. And acquisition after acquisition and after acquisition, you started seeing a difference. They started paying attention to us uh, you know, in pitches. But if I had to pick a singular file, I'd actually put it two files. Both happened roughly around the same time. We were a year into our existence. One was a site acquisition, uh, a site in the uh, western portion of the city, about 25 acres, uh, which is one of the hottest markets in Montreal. Almost impossible to find or, a land to develop or redevelop sites. We were able to find a, uh, a logistics site that was directly under everybody's nose. That was one that I think took everybody off guard because it was a real uh, a, a real large-scale development play in Montreal at that time. Second one, roughly the same time, was uh, Rosefellow being uh, awarded the Ford Distribution Center in, uh, in, Castleman. Say, in Castleman, Ontario, which is at the border of Ontario and, and, and that was And that was your first move into multi-program, going as a more of a national, uh, exactly. national firm. At Correct. that point, we had no, no, site, no sites really in Ontario. We were about a year old to land a 531,000 square foot distribution center with a tenant like Ford against stiff competition, I think everybody kind of stopped and took notice saying, how did they do this? Yeah. And I, from then on, I think they all took us a lot more seriously. I think you were needed in the marketplace in some ways. It's an interesting way to look at it, but young, looking at the market differently, you guys were needed. One thing that we did promise a lot of people is that we would be extremely agile and quick mm -hmm. on how we look at sites. There wouldn't be any extensions required. You know, we'll do what we need to do in a quick time frame. And people appreciated that. They appreciate the fact that they're, you know, we weren't taking a, an offer, flashing it to the market to see if we can find a tenant to then close on a property. Put in the contract, do what we needed to do, close, and then, and only then will we present a project to the market. We also uh, looked at things a little differently. Uh, you know, Montreal in general was basically, you know, two or three developers central for the last 15, 20 years. Uh, they were the kings of the castle. We came in and really changed that up. First and foremost, exactly what Mike said, uh, agility, uh, treating brokers with respect, uh, a lot less red tape than normal. Uh, we also treat our partners uh, like they're family. You know, most developers will send a one-page pro forma and thank you very much. We're developers. We're the king of the castle. We look at it completely different. Without a partner, we wouldn't be where we are. So uh, we converse with our partners. We bring them into our offices. Every stage of the development, they have full transparency. This is uncommon in our industry. Quick story. I remember um, at the onset, we sent a performer for one of our projects to a very large institution in Toronto following our, our Zoom presentation. And he called me up and he says, Mike, you made a mistake. So what's the problem, guys? He goes, you sent me your, your performer in Excel. I have all 32 tabs of your Excel sheet in my computer. He goes, I'll delete it and send me back the PDF. I'm like, no, no, no. That was done deliberately. We want you to see every last deed. We want you to see every last dollar we make. The, the objective of a partnership is we're, go, we're getting to bed together. Right. You need to understand every last detail. So full transparency. Full, full transparency. So speaking of partners, um, when you started in, in this game, you were more on the private side partners, yeah. uh, high, net, high net worth individuals, um, you know, companies, uh, private companies. You 
have pivoted now to you started your first fund, you're on your second fund. Uh, tell me about that pivot. Tell me about how, what made you decide to move in that direction? That's a great question. Uh, for me, Mike and I uh, are undaunted by scale. You know, we, we have an appetite, uh, you know, whether it's $100 million development, $25 million development, $5 million development, we like it all, we push. Uh, another promise we made to the industry is we would change how the industry is viewed here in Quebec. We build on spec, which was uncommon. Uh, Montreal has actually a, ver a lack of quality Class A industrial buildings because no developers actually came in and built on spec. So from day one, Rosefellow was about building on spec. We announce a project, we will build it regardless of a tenant being there. Put all that together, there's a capital concern private individuals, you can only go so far. So when we try to figure out what is the next evolution of Rosefellow, how do we continue in the path uh, that we're going while keeping these promises? Funds were the, the logical solution. Uh, take that, uh, take being at the right place at the right time a little bit. Industrial was booming. We decided to launch the first industrial fund ever in Quebec. Quickly went through that. Uh, and it's funny, that happened year one. Uh, you know, we're 12 months into business, we call our lawyers, we call consultants, guys, we're going to open up a fund. What do you think? They said, are you crazy? Create a track record. It's, it's a year, guys. It's a year you're in business. Slow down. We said, no, you don't understand. We, we have these great opportunities. We have these great developments that are underway. We have more to come. We think this is the right, you know, right direction for us. And, and everybody turned this down saying it's not the right time. So Sam and I did kind of like when we started Roosevelt and said, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, we'll do it on our own. And uh, lo and behold, we put a list of investors we thought would be ideal. And we were fortunate enough to put together a mix of, of good public and private uh, institutions in order to put together our first $100 million fund a year into business. But you also saw those land values then, like you had that vision as to where prices were going. Uh, that, that's unique. We, we, I think we all felt you know what, what Montreal was for the last 30 years a very stagnant market and we saw that changing we saw that evolving we saw the demand and the perception of Montreal changing and we saw where rental rates can go and and we took calculated risks at the onset to offer the numbers we did on the sites our, our first underwriting on rental rates uh, I still remember that were 950 just below the ten dollar mark on a new and I, I can tell wow. you our, our initial foray Eight out of ten people said we were crazy, but we already saw it happening. I mean, this boom in industrial didn't happen because of COVID. Yeah. It was coming. It was happening before that. COVID just amplified it. So we already saw, you know, rental rates were stagnant here for a decade. They were effectively seven, seven dollars, seven twenty-five, triple net class A for, for brand new construction. For brand new, for brand for, new, yeah. And this is at a time where existing was $5 gross, but it was stagnant at seven, seven twenty-five for a decade. Yeah, vacancy rates for class A, 20 foot clear and above buildings were practically at zero right. for the longest time. And we started seeing it go up. You know, we're talking now 2017, 2018, we started seeing it go up. So when we started underwriting our first developments, we had put them at 950. Hmm. Uh, and again, we, we got a lot of pushback. We foresaw rental rates hitting double digits. Uh, I don't think we foresaw how <laughs> high it, it ended up getting, but we did see it. Yeah. We believed that it would get there. Interesting. So you're now a multi-provincial company. Um, what are your thoughts on 
Rose Fellow in five years from now? Are you national? Are you are you moving to Toronto? Are you are US. you doing uh, U.S.? What's loaded question, guys? But, but smiling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I volunteered the Miami office. <laughs> We're working for you. <laughs> we'll do it together. Uh, we, we had a tremendous success with with Ford Canada in Ontario. Uh, again. Ontario, next to the to the Quebec border, we'll call it, is has been um, an area that that we love. We see there's huge opportunity. We've acquired several sites since within that market, that Ottawa market. Uh, will we grow into other areas of Ontario? Absolutely. There's other properties that we're looking at that are closer to the Pearson Airport. Uh, where do we see Roosevelt in five years? Probably having. I mean, we're, we're presently going to probably be close to about 30 million square feet in the province of Quebec, maybe equal to that in Ontario over the next couple of years? I don't think we're limited by geography. Uh, one, one thing I, I've taken a notice of is all the, uh, the aggressive uh, and successful developers, uh, you know, in the, in the U.S. and Canada, don't care about geography. They just have a passion for whatever it is they do, and they build. That's how we, uh, we are. Uh, whether it be Alberta, whether it be, you know, the United States, if there's a good development potential, especially industrial, we'll, we'll look all over. Yeah, yeah, we're all over it. We've always felt it important to surround ourselves around the best of the best. So that it be the best architect in Montreal, Ontario, or Florida, that's the way we see ourselves growing into these other areas. You get the right contractor to work with you, who knows the market, you get the right architect, the right professionals, that's how you grow in a sustainable, proper fashion. For where do we see ourselves in five years? Um, Love to be, you know, one of the, uh, we'll say the top in Canada at that point. I'd say that'd be a, a, a great goal to achieve, uh, you know, one of the larger industrial developers in Canada. Uh, with that requires growth in Quebec. I, we still see a lot of growth in Quebec, uh, not, notwithstanding Ontario, which is uh, an easy market to grow in. Quebec as well. I mean, both sides of it. We see a lack of quality class A industrial space in the Quebec City market. It's a smaller market, but it is an emerging market for us. 100% so we're, we're looking emerging. at that. And even further out east, uh, we, we see tremendous potential all over Quebec. For us, that's where we're focusing on, growing uh, both sides. So, Mike, I heard you say sustainability uh, before as a sustainable uh, organization. And I know one of your, your mottos or missions is to try and be as sustainable and um, and innovative in this market. So, how are you guys measuring that? How are you How are you trying to be be deliver sustainable projects? And um, can you expand a little bit on that? I mean, we all agree. Forty percent of all emissions worldwide come from real estate. We we have a duty as developers to put an initiative in place, and not only with with our contractors, uh, but also with our with, with our with our investors. And it's one of our prerequisites. If you're going to invest with Rosefellow, understand that all the buildings we're going to be building moving forward are carbon, uh, net carbon projects that have been in the province of Quebec or Ontario. Um, we sit in a, in, a, in a great position to be able to, to do something great for the environment, not only for us, but for our kids and our grandkids. Uh, like Mike said, carbon zero will be at the forefront going forward. Uh, it, it's actually evolved a lot faster than we thought. You, know, you look at LEED. LEED took, uh, took a good 10 years before it became the norm. 
carbon zero for real estate, especially in industrial, is happening within two, three years. So we decided we're, we're actually launching our third uh, industrial fund. All projects within it will be uh, carbon zero. Uh, with regards to how do you measure, I'll say this, I, I have difficulty with that. I, I mean, for me, how do you measure anything? If we could do a little bit of good for our city, for our environment, for the future, that's, I think that's enough. Uh, that, that makes me happy. Um, outside of that, uh, you, as a society, you know, we're, we're building buildings that are going to likely outlive us. It's important. You know, that, that's part of the legacy. That, these are the projects that people are going to remember. We're looking at Class A industrial buildings in Montreal. If they're carbon zero, if they're lead, uh, we've done our job. So tough, though. I mean, we we got to remember that we live in Canada. Yep. Uh, so everything above the 49th parallel is cold. That's right. So we I have guess snow load capacity. We have. <laughs> so I think that makes it a bit tough uh, on on projects. So uh, I mean, you guys must have to go through some uh, some hoops to be able to get this done. There's a learning curve required, and not only from our trades and professionals. Uh, from Rosefellow, but also from uh, uh, municipalities, municipalities uh, city officials. Every city wants a Class A, full precast, you know, uh, construction with green roofs and uh, you know, basically everything in the world. Well, it's counterintuitive to carbon zero initiatives. On top of that, to to your point, we live in Quebec. It's too cold. You know, once it hits minus 15 degrees, you need uh, gas. Yeah, right. absolutely. So there, there's got to be a little bit of a give and take with the municipalities to achieve these requirements. And correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had mentioned to me in the past, if you're putting precast, which is concrete, concrete is not net emission zero. It's counterintuitive to, to the objective. Concrete comes from a factory that's a high pollutant that goes against your prerogative, which is to build a, a, a net carbon zero building. So, you know, you, you, that, and that's where the, the kind of the, the education comes in with different municipalities. Say, okay, if, you know, you, we all want a sexy building, we want a beautiful building, but let's look at the products we're using to build that building. And if we're going to build a, a carbon zero building, well, we got we to gotta alter the perception of what that is. Is it, really, is it really precast? Can we not use another type of fabric? And these are some of the other types of fabric. So not, we're not the only ones learning municipalities are learning city officials are learning so everybody's kind of in that process of change right now interesting story you know we we get asked enormously to include photovoltaics solar panels on our buildings well our you know hydro quebec actually doesn't have a program where this power is recuperated into their system once the building uses it for basic life and safety the rest of this energy that's recuperated is unused wasted wasted but you know we're seeing football-sized roofs with this requirement. Well, it's completely wasted. We have to figure out uh, as as a as a group, er, all, everybody involved, how to actually take this energy, you know, give it back to the city, to the government. Okay. I want to talk to you guys about the national industrial market, which sure. is really. But before that, I think it's time for another sip of wine. Okay. As you'll see, it evolves in the glass. It's been sitting here for probably around 20 minutes, 25 minutes now. Got some nice rose petal uh, hints on it. Very nice. B- big fan of Barolo wines. As far, if anybody was to ask me, I would tell you that it is the Burgundy of Italy. Hmm. 
Very nice. So guys, we meant we talked a little bit about COVID before, um, but that kind of put the fire on, uh, really accelerated the demand in industrial real estate, accelerated rents, accelerated uh, absorption. Where do you see us now having gone through that? I think e-commerce is taking a little bit of a of a backside now. It's there, we're seeing some of the tech tech companies that are going through some cost cutting measures. Where do you guys see demand right now on a national front for industrial? Uh, on my end, I, I still think e-commerce is going to be there. I think it's just settling into the growth that it needed to be. I think uh, again, the pandemic just amplified that and you know they tried to satisfy demand so they overextended themselves uh so i I think it's settling down it will continue to to grow i I think e-commerce is still the future uh you see more and more boxes arriving at people's houses workplace Uh, i mean there's a reason for that i had three today at the office uh, my wife sends every day a box (laughs) so i I don't think that's going to stop i also think there's emerging markets that we don't even think of you know, you see what's happening with AI, especially recently, uh, robotics. I, I, I actually see that industrial will satisfy industries that don't even exist. Also, uh, if you look at automation, you look at food. There, there's another one. You know, we, we all had this tendency during COVID, pre-COVID, and still today to go to the grocery store. The big push from all these grocers now is to get their clientele to go online. Yeah. And, and how did these, order, these orders get, furnished, uh, get served in the past? Well, the, you know, the order was sent to the grocery store, and then you had a grocer in the store who would actually go up and down the aisles, pack your order, and ship it to your house. It doesn't work. How is it done today? The order's taken. It's, done, it's sent to automated, into an automated facility, excuse me. And that order is then shipped to your, to your house. Well, automation can't be done in a building that's 18 foot clear with a slab that, that's got cracks through it. You need a, a new facility. We're still playing catch up. We don't have enough quality space in, forget about Montreal, I think in Canada to service that market, that this new market. Um, I think we'll still be playing catch up for at least another five years. Yeah, I think the growth is, 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 is in front of us. Absolutely. Somewhere. I also think uh, manufacturing is gonna come back. Uh, I already see it, see it happening. Which is good. Uh, I think the world, the pandemic taught the world that we need to be a lot more self-sufficient. So uh, manufacturing is going to grow. E-commerce will grow. Uh, there's a lot of companies that have not pushed themselves fully into e-commerce. You know, the, the, the big boys, the national ones have. But we'll call them all the A- and B players have not. Uh, they have to grow. And I think, I think what Amazon taught us is that we can... We can want something and get it the next day, which caused same day now, same, same day now, day. <laughs> which caused everybody outside of that that Amazon bubble to, to have the the same wants from their clientele. Well, how do you service that? I spoke about grocers. You want to be able to go online, put your gross, your order in, and have it the next day. You need facilities to be able to to supply that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about rates, guys. Um, Montreal, and I'll, I'll talk to Montreal. You guys can maybe talk a little bit more on a national basis. But sure. um, Montreal went from probably a $5 market for the last 25 years to now our average is over $16. Um, we're playing a bit of catch-up to some of the other markets. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see now that the new tax rules are out, that additional rents have gone so high, yeah. what kind of impact that's going to have on, on net rents. But... I guess my question is, every quarter we, we're still seeing growth. Um, is there a ceiling? Are, are we going to see a, 
Uh, is there are any markets across Canada that are going to be performing better? What, what are your thoughts? 50% growth year after year. I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, I think that's going to slow down significantly. There'll still be growth. And again, I think it comes down to, to, the, to the availability that we have, not only here, but across Canada. There's such a lack of it. Uh, I think it needs to, to slow down a little bit. I think everybody needs to reset. I think it's good for the market. Uh, you know, things have jumped so quickly that I'm not sure all of the occupants and tenants have been able to adapt. Uh, I, I don't think it calming down for a bit is a bad thing. I'll say that right off the bat. Uh, again, keep in mind, this has been great for our investors. You know, these rental increases above pro forma expectations are very good for the bottom line. But I think as an industry, like any like any of the, the, the trades who increased their pricing during the pandemic, I think everybody gouged a little too much. I think uh, a reset is required. Um, I don't foresee them going down. What I do see happening, though, is right now the average that you mentioned, $16, uh, is across the board for 18 foot clear Correct. to 32 all, all foot clear. All class of industry. And I think that's where the the problem is. I think there needs to be a larger gap between the existing property and class A property. That's one avenue. I'd also say well-located sites will now start commanding a premium uh, that we haven't seen actually. Now it's like whatever you could, you could get, you're getting. It doesn't matter if you're in a suburb or in the downtown core. I think that's where we're going to start seeing uh, a difference in the rates. With regards to the rest of Canada, um, unfortunately, you can't. one thing you can't make more of is land. So I don't see Toronto or Vancouver actually lowering the rates. I don't think they can. You know, they're, they're growing geographically. But you know, if you take the top, you know, top five sites in each of these cities, these will never go down. People will have to pay to be there. And... Uh, as much as my earlier comment was, I'm hoping to see a decrease, there's one stat that really stood out to me, it was recent. We were talking with a, an occupant, Mike and I, uh, and I think our total gross rent was near $30. And you know, for us in the industry, $30, is, it's an incredible number. Yeah, it's and higher than Toronto. It, it's higher, but I'll never forget what he told me. He's like, you know, Sam, Mike, this is 8% of our cost. The real estate is more important than the rent. When you stop and look at it at, in those metrics, you take yourself out of the field that for us is our life. You're like, oh my God, they're right. You're they viewing it through the eyes of the there. user. Exactly. They need to and, be where they and need his to be. comment was, my issue is not my real estate. My issue is my labor pool and transport. Those are my issues. When I can solve those with my real estate, it's a win-win. And I have to pay, if I have to pay $30 to be in an area where there's a huge labor pool and it's close to me to get to my facility, such as UPS, FedEx, and Canada Post or the airport, I've solved all my issues. So I can pay the premium to be in those markets. Well, we're really restricted here in terms of land. We are. I mean, we, you know, Mark and I talk about how we're more like Vancouver than we are Toronto. We're locked in yep. and to rezone land is, you tell us what, what it's like to rezone land. A agricultural land yeah. will not be rezoned in Quebec. The, that, that's what- Buy it we, for your grandkids is what I say. <laughs> protected by God. Yeah. There you go. Uh, with regards to other zoning, I can tell you most municipalities, especially here in Quebec, don't want to change their zoning. They're also very much adverse to warehouse and distribution, which unfortunately is a mistake. You know, the, the distribution of today, you know, the e-commerce, these are not simply one person. Uh, they, they have huge employee base. Cities don't understand that. So uh, finding industrial warehousing land in, in Montreal or sites to redevelop 
very, very difficult. And that's where the premium will come. On the island. On the yeah, island. Absolutely. So Vancouver, super expensive. Uh, Toronto, expensive, but just slightly higher on the net rate uh, basis than we are here in Montreal. If you had to pick one of those two to, to start working in, wh what do you think you would do? Would you be more of a GTA or would you guys be more moving out west? Uh, for me, I love the Toronto market. I would say the Toronto market simply because exactly what uh, you said, Norm, there's not only the GTA, there's all the surrounding, Mississauga, all of these you know, uh, different areas have poten incredible potential. Yes, the land values are high, uh, but there's, uh, there's a base there that works. If I had to move out west, uh, love the Calgary market. You know, we've looked at it in the past. I think it's a great market to be in. Vancouver is a great market, but a challenging market. I, if I were to enter Vancouver, I'd, I'd almost look at it differently. Uh, I would automatically start there with a two-story building. I think it's the only way to make those metrics work. There is one there now, there right? There is. And, and I think going forward, that's the only way. Even in you know, Toronto or Montreal, we're talking you know, very class A industrial sites you know, on island. You know, that's the only way these are going to work. In so the future. you foresee those happening on the island? No choice. They're going to happen. You know, you know what you know. Sam and I spent a lot of time researching Toronto. Uh, obviously, when you spend all that time, you, you get an appetite for the market. There'll be a time where we're going to spend a lot of time researching Vancouver in that market, and we may be sitting a year from now saying, you know what, Vancouver is where we want to be. So, so, so for now, I, I'd have to agree with Sam, Toronto, but that's just because we've done a lot of research on that market as opposed to Vancouver. So the option that I didn't give, which is the, the, uh, the, the option on the side, is Calgary. And I think what's interesting about Calgary, although the, the rents are slightly lower depressed compared mm -hmm. to some of the other major markets in Canada, there's tons of land there. You know, so I think we're now seeing with rates so high in Vancouver that companies are starting to shift and saying, why don't we move over to Calgary? Sure, we're going to have more transport or more, or it'll be a different operation, but we're, we're having our, if you're especially in your logistics business, mm -hmm. they're halving their costs. Yeah, literally halving their costs. So it's good. It's going to be an interesting market in Canada over the next uh, the next five years. Um, go ahead. Bringing that up, I did just uh, thinking of something. What do you think of rail? Because if people are going to use those markets, transport from west to east and or vice versa, what do you think the future of rail looks like? It's a great added value, one that's hard to come by with with newer buildings. All, the, all transportation nodes are important. You know. Uh, uh, rail, sea, um, you know, you know, if you could get a port around you, all of these is where the future is. Basically, cover all your bases, you know, highways, all public amenities, all uh, uh, transportation methods. The closer you are to all of this, the likely of uh, success, regardless of market and market conditions, that's how you'll, you'll beat the market. So I'm going to talk um, a little bit about something that's on everybody's minds right now, the, the debt situation in, um, in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say in Canada, worldwide. Yeah. Uh, we've definitely seen a, uh, the most aggressive rate hikes in, in history, um, you know, 425 basis points in less than a year. It's putting the squeeze on a lot of developers. Um, a lot of developers are actually putting projects on hold if they haven't gone into the ground. 
how's the debt situation and affecting you? Uh, thankfully, none of our projects have been put on hold. Uh, so I, I say that uh, I, I've heard what's happened to other developers. Uh, not a great situation. Uh, some are due to the economics, some uh, timing. Uh, and, and we're speaking generally in development. You know, uh, sometimes if you're in the condo industry, it's just the wrong time for it. Um, I think it's going to stabilize. Uh, we see it stabilizing. Cap rates also should stabilize. Uh, again, I think it went too low. People, you know, took advantage of that way too much, and they started building their proformas based on metrics that considered them being low. And your only way you can make a, your returns profitable is with a low cap rate. That's a mistake. Uh, there's got to be a little give and take on that. Uh, for our next set of developments, and when I say the next set, we're in construction now for 4 million feet. We have another 4 million square feet starting in the next four to five months. All those projects are a go. All those projects have metrics that could sustain the current lending rates and cap rates. Notwithstanding what I just said, yes, interest rates are low, uh, sorry, are high. You still need banks to be there. The danger well is if banks just decide to stop giving money, regardless of rates, that's when we have a problem. Uh, that that's something nobody could overcome. We need uh, we need our, our our banks to be there with us. And and what's playing in everyone's favor is that you know um, unemployment is low, the demand is still extremely high, and I think that's what's kind of balancing things out, and and why there's still banks and there's still lenders out there who are willing to support the types of projects that we do. So not that anybody really knows the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you the question regardless. There's a lot of chatter about a recession in the market. Um, your boots on the ground. You're seeing the demand. You're seeing tenants. You're seeing people that want to expand, retract, move. What's your thoughts? Are we going to see a recession? If so, is it going to hurt? Most do. But how hard is this one going to hurt? For me, there's... No, no, go ahead. For me, there's... Uh, two points of recession. So one, there's the definition of a recession. By definition, recession is a negative growth for two consecutive quarters. Correct. By that metric, <laughs> I think we're already there. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll say it bluntly. I think we're already there. Then there's the other side, which I've always felt recession is almost like a social feeling, how people perceive the, you know, the, the market, the industry, the economy, how people feel. And I don't see that. You know, regardless of what's happening with the financial institutions, everybody we talk to just feels like this is a pause. They feel positive about where things are. Our economy in Canada is actually very strong, generally. Uh, employment is low. People are doing relatively well. We, you know, we don't have the same constraints like they do in the United States. I just think this is almost like a pause uh, more than a, a true full-on recession. I'd have to agree. A lot of people that we speak to have the same comment where it's 2023 will be kind of flatline and then things will pick up again in 2024. Now, we hope there won't be no flatline. It'll just keep on growing. But uh, we do have to expect that uh, you have to control inflation. And by doing so, you're in increasing the interest rates, which, which I think we've plateaued. I think they're, we're going to we watch so. it. We hope so. I yeah. think the last one, personally, to put my personal opinion into this, I think the last one was a bit overkill. Um, I, I think one of the issues that we're facing is that, you know, we're seeing that the labor, we've been adding jobs, yeah. but that's a, uh, that, that's a lagging yeah. uh, metric. You know, those, those job numbers are from months before. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to be in a situation where 
you know, every rate hike that they do now, it has exponential damage to the to the economy. Um, so I, I'm hoping we're we, we've plateaued. Um, I think that Canada, I agree with you guys. I think Canada is well positioned because of when we're big in natural resources, some of the biggest in the world. Um, we've got, you know, a great population, great people. Labor is uh, is getting more and more skilled. So I think I think it's a, it's a good story about Canada. So where do you think we're going to be in three to five years? Uh, again, I think 2023 will be kind of uh, people will coast. We're not going to see anything happen, in my opinion, with the with the interest rates. They don't want to drop them prematurely, so they're going to wait as long as they can. And I think that will fall into 2024. So if you're asking where we're going to be three to four years from now, in a great position. Excellent. So not to switch gears a little bit here, but you guys are in the process of selling one of the best development sites in the city. Um, and we can, it's in Montreal. We're not going to talk about anything confidential. Um, but this is a site that garnered national attention, uh, coast to coast. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that site? Can you give us a bit of, of what your thoughts are? What was the driving force behind you wanting to put that site on the market? Maybe give us just a talk about a, the history of it. Yeah, maybe just give us a bit of the the Absolutely. you know the, the metrics, the size of the site, and that type sure. of stuff. Absolutely. So th this one hurts personally. I'll say this uh, again. Mike and I started this. We're developers. We have a passion for development. We acquired this site with. Uh, existing business in place, uh, a business that had an operating, uh, a net operating income that could potentially grow, but for us was almost a byproduct of how we hold the site for a couple of years. It hurts because in our view, this was always one of the best developable industrial sites in the city. If we were to ever do a two-story industrial building in Montreal, probably the site to do Absolutely. it on. Look, not to throw salt on the wound, but I think it's actually one of the best developable sites in Canada. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, center ice on the island of Montreal. But it, then again, I am, you know, it, go, it goes to the next, the next point of the discussion is we've seen, not only have we seen rental rates go, go crazy and meteoric uh, rises, we've also seen land prices go extremely high. Absolutely. You know, when we were, I mean, the, the site that you guys have in the West Island when we started in this business, that was probably $5 a foot. Yeah. When Arnold started in the business, it might have been 50 cents. <laughs> that was still farm. <laughs> was still farm. <laughs> they were bringing power to the site. Yeah. So, is, again, is there an end to these, uh, these land prices? Do we, are we going to see a little bit more stable? Obviously, they're directly correlated to the, to the rental rates that are, that are going. So, what are your thoughts on that? Just, just to continue on a little bit on my train, where we were going with this. So we bought this, again, with the express intent of redeveloping. Uh, land values went up. There was a, an operating business on this site. What ended up happening is this operating business ended up becoming such a valuable uh, NOI business that the site itself, uh, on a net operating income basis, as well as the land value basis, basically made it so that it's moot for us to redevelop it. Uh, we also have a responsibility to our investors, which is maximize the return. 
keep in mind, we always wanted to develop the site, but when you start running the two metrics, it became very difficult to, to put together a business case that made sense to redevelop the site. Well, so, if you can make the same profit by selling versus going through the whole development and that, it's it becomes an easier uh, answer. That's exactly the answer. Exactly, right. and when you tell your investors you can 10X a property within a year and a half, it's hard for them to look and say, do we really want Happy to hold investors. on? Happy investors. Exactly. Happy investors. So we're sitting right now, I guess this, uh, I want to cap off our, our discussion is, and this is not just, you know, a Montreal issue. This is a GTA. This is a Vancouver. Uh, we're, we're sitting with the lowest vacancy we've ever seen. We're, we're right now in the GMA, we're at 0.6%. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, effective zero. How do we solve this crisis? That, that's uh, you know. Besides, sorry, Mike. Besides yeah. the, like, we need to build more. Yeah. Um, you were saying before, very difficult with with zoning issues. Very difficult to acquire new new land sites. So, are we in this perpetual circle for forever? Yeah, there's another factor you didn't mention as well. I mean, the labor pool, which you spoke about earlier. It, you know, you, you can need the space, but if you can't find the the people to deliver within that building. Why, why even be in that market? That'd be anywhere. Uh, how many times have you gone to a Tim Hortons in the last year and it was closed at three o'clock in the afternoon? Not because they chose to, but because they couldn't get people to, to, to work. It's an unfortunate and, and, a, and a big issue that we have in all markets. That's why the advent of uh, more modern facilities automation. for automation, artificial intelligence, Absolutely. software, Absolutely. robotics. It's, it's, it's here. And if you're going to integrate that into a, into a project, you're going to design it around the technology. Around yeah. I don't think you can solve for the, the lack of square footage, especially in, a, in Montreal. We just don't have quality class A industrial space. Uh, again, we're, we're building 4 million square feet. I think we've tracked another 5, 6 million square feet from other developers at, under construction. Seems like it's all, the, it's all taken or spoken for or close to it. Uh, I, I think our market could take another 20 before we see a, a serious dent in uh, the vacancy rate. And even with that, uh, the vacancy rate, my opinion, could probably rise on an average to 8, 9, 10%, and we would still be okay in the Class A industrial space. If, you, if your metrics are good, you'll do fine. It, it's simply finding the right occupant for the right location. And there's, you know, there's lower value, lower ceiling industrial spaces that I think also have a market. Uh, I, I don't think we'll be able to solve for it quickly, though. That, that's, that's an issue that's going to persist, simply because Montreal has always been a little bit behind the rest of Canada. We will never grow at the rate of, of the rest of the Canadian cities. Any thoughts of building smaller bay buildings, i.e. 150,000 square feet with five tenants? We do it now. Our, our portfolio has a mix of smaller buildings of 95,000 square feet, like the one we're doing in the East End, all the way up to four, four or 500,000 square feet. And, and we give those options. And what we do is we do, we do some proper analysis within that market. And we determine is the demand within that, that, uh, that segment 10, 20, 30,000 square feet. And we'll bid accordingly. We're not, we don't limit ourselves to big boxes. We, we actually enjoy having that diversity in our fund for our fund members. Yeah. The issue that... I've noted, uh, especially in one specific occurrence where we put two, 
two twin buildings. Each one was about 125,000 square feet with the, designed for a multi-tenant. What ended up happening is one of the buildings was entirely leased to one occupant and the other building was leased 50% to one occupant. So you start looking at that and you're saying, well, we could have put one singular 300,000 square foot building, probably would have been leased to. We want to see smaller bathing. I think for the future, five, 10 years from now, it is the right approach. Short term though, it is not financially uh, justifiable. But again, we think it's a good uh, it's a good mix to have in our funds. Well, you, sorry, go ahead, Arnold. Yeah, what do you think the small bay would look like to you? Um, is it five thousand? Could you? Is it affordable to do those smaller flex buildings, or are those days of development completely, completely uh, over and in, in the rearview mirror? Um, with regards to smaller five to ten thousand feet, yeah, I don't, five, I, 10, I don't 15, think on 20. the leasing market it makes sense. I think construction costs, even though they've come down, are just too high. And I'll give you an example: a demising wall. It's a thousand dollars a linear foot. Sure, you could get a little bit more, a little bit less. Depends on how you design it. You know, if you have a small building uh, with five, six demising walls, or right there, that's a lot of money. Uh, where those could work, not something that's done often here in Quebec. Uh, it's known as the the strata condos. Sure. Uh, we, we don't have a tendency to do them here in Quebec. I think that is the way to do it. But on the leasing market, I don't think the rates make so sense. So what yet. we have today is what we will see in the future. In on, that in that in that size work. category, it's um, hard to make the numbers work on the small bay stuff. Which yeah. means that the rents are going to continue to rise on the small bay. Absolutely, yeah. because no one's going to no one's building it. Again, depending on your bay size and the depth, yep. under thirty thousand square feet. Very hard, mm -hmm. very, very hard. You know, you, you have to start thinking of building materials. You have more glazing, uh, more HVAC units, demising walls. It just becomes in, incredibly much more expensive to build smaller buildings. Interesting. And if you think of some of the numbers that, that uh, we know of in the market, five, six, seven hundred dollars a foot for two, 3,000 square foot industrial condos, I, I can't see how- What was that number? Five, six hundred dollars a foot. Wow. Yeah, for some of the strata projects that we've heard about. It's but just I, hard I could to make see somebody work. make a niche out of that. Yeah. But they're going to charge a significant premium. And it'll be a small guy who has only four or 5,000 feet who really looks at it as renting versus a mortgage, saying, okay, let's do it. And for that, it could work. Well, guys, thank you very much. Um, Mike Jagger. Sam Sumis, co-founders of Rosefellow. Uh, it's been a real pleasure having you guys here. Um, you've been big supporters of Collier's. I hope, I hope the sentiment is, uh, is uh, reciprocal. I can say that our team did a uh, fantastic transaction with you guys last year uh, with Nespresso. Thank you. Um, it was smooth, uh, tenants very happy, beautiful building. Uh, so we look forward to doing uh, future deals with you. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll conclude on this, Arnold and Mark, wine tasting, real estate, Rosefellow edition. Gentlemen, cheers, cheers everybody. Thank All you. the best for 2023. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to Collier's Talks podcast. To learn more about Collier's Canada, our experts and our solutions, visit colliercanada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.